You are listening to Social Bees Radio, where we put the honey in the honey pots. I'm your director, the Rickster, and if you ever wanted to know everything and anything about Web3, crypto, or NFTs, you're in the right place. So fasten your seatbelt, get ready, and let's get started. Oh yeah, Chris, before we uh, transition into Web2, do you want to give a quick um, maybe review of what the genesis of the internet and Web1 and what we just talked about and um, maybe reset the room a little bit before we transition to Web2? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, we, were, um, we started from day one of the internet, Artnet, and uh, we progressed. We, we talked about the different transitions, um, difference between the internet and the World Wide Web, how we got there. Um, before we go on to Web 2, let's just go over some essentials of Web 1. Um, you know, it's advertisements on, uh, advertisements on web page while surfing the Internet. Um, static pages. Content is served from the server's file system. Uh, pages built using server-side includes uh, or common gateway interface, CGI. And uh, frames and tables are used uh, to position and align the elements on a page. So it's a, it's a lot of... Uh, static information on on the uh server side and uh you know the, the the year we ended up on oh i lost my page here we went all the way up to like 1984 yeah yeah i, I actually you want to hear something funny I actually I, I copied stuff and i printed it out so i'd have my little notebook <laughs> awesome awesome austin, oh yeah yeah i forgot back in back in 1996 austin sold his first broken uh laser light on ebay yeah <laughs> He's a little toddler. He's a little, little toddler. His mom gave it to him. He broke it. She had to sell it on eBay. <laughs> and we got it. We ended up falling into the. I think you already started touching on the Wikipedia. Yeah, well, think of uh, the, you know, how much historical context we put around the first transaction of Bitcoin and how, like, a monumental moment that was for just, uh, just showing the validity of the network or of the idea. And, you know, that probably was a moment at that time, back in 1996, when eBay did that, when it was the first time that there was, you know, the credit card transaction through this mysterious Internet on this computer that people still are struggling to understand and probably don't even understand today. And magically, the money went into this machine and they uh, had a broken laser pointer into their uh, into their hands in the mailbox just a couple of weeks later. So, so what? Let's, let's make let's make a reference because I, I like to make stupid, ridiculous um, linkings between things, connections. So back then, somebody bought a broken laser thing, laser pointer on eBay for how like how much you think, Austin? A dollar fifty? A dollar? I don't know, eighty cents? Well, one of the answers, so I can't answer this. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and how much? How much was was Bitcoin when it first came out, like, you know, everybody yeah, tells the pennies, story, if not fractions of pennies. Yeah, everybody tells the stories of the, the eight million dollar well, pizza or whatever. Like, yeah, it had no, it had no value actually. There's no liquidity to it. I mean, yeah, it was just code. It was just numbers. So it didn't really have a dollar value. We as humans attached a dollar value to it at some point. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, everything starts small, right? And uh, you, you, you got to, you have to know the value of what you're holding. That that's key in this space. So that's and, and what does that all tie back into, Austin? 
Education. Education. <laughs> Education. That's why these spaces are hosted by the Social Bees University. Social Bees University, a dominant and pioneering Web3, NFT, and cryptocurrency project. So go and check out the Social Bees University. Go to the website, socialbees.io, or go and read the, uh, or go and join the Discord. It should be in my uh, link in my bio. And just go and interact in the community. And um, Cardiac Chris. So I wrote something down recently at one of the um, events that I went to. And it was a, a guy by the name of Dan, which was, um, Dan was a pioneer in Web 1 and Web 2 in the mobile game development. At some point in the App Store, uh, in the top 50 games, Dan had been the pioneer in creating about 36 of them. So Dan is a really intelligent guy. He understands a lot about computers and the progression of it. And he classified, you know, the progression of Web 1 and Web 2 and Web 3 as Web 1 was information. So Web 1 was the information uh, basis of the Internet. Web 2 was interaction. So that was when, for the first time, or predominantly, that users were interacting with the web. They were interacting with the information, interacting with each other and engaging um, within the World Wide Web. And then we'll get to uh, what Web3 was, how we classified it later on. But, um, you know, just from off the top of your head, Cardiac Chris, what were some of the key differences that Web2 brought about roughly in that early 2000s time frame? Uh, well, one thing, um, so like I mentioned earlier, Web1 was read only pretty much. So the next progression, I would imagine, would be writing. But also, like, uh, what, what our spaces were about, well, and this one is, too, collaboration. Um, let's see. Like, more of a more of a software platform. Uh, they were able to upgrade, uh, uh, you know, upgrade and move, move a little bit faster. You know, it wasn't just a static page like I talked about earlier, so they could update things on the page and... and like more interaction and conversation, right? So Web2 obviously is going to produce a lot of uh, different types of platforms out there for interconnectability and uh, interaction. Um, it's not just you going. I, I, I know somebody probably yell at me for this, but I mean, like Web1 is more like billboards, right? It's, you know, you're, you're going somewhere to, to look and see. And Web2, you're going to go, it's more like a, you know, a kid's bouncy house, right? You can go interact. <laughs> a kid's bouncy house. That is, that is, that is your explanation of web. All the, I think all that the, history. Yeah, all the, all, all the IT guys are going to come beat me up right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what was what was crazy about uh, Web2 was that it gave the ability for uh, the everyday user to create uh, websites, to create, um, you know, to develop IP, to create something utilizing the internet. Whereas in Web One, it was you know you had to go get a web server, you had to get a computer programmer, they had you had to get somebody to design the websites, and you know a lot of the technicalities. It wasn't a very easy user experience. Whereas with Web Two, you started seeing the platforms of you know Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, MySpace. You know you have all these platforms that are developing, and it made it easy to go and create something on the internet. You're able to go and just create a Facebook profile page as opposed to having to develop an entire website. And on top of that, you're able to interact with others utilizing that same platform. So your friends and family members started using Facebook, and you're able to interact with them a lot easier. So what Web2 really brought about with that interaction, the reading, the writing, and the collaborating, like you said, is it made it a heck of a lot easier for the user to utilize it. The user experience was dramatically increased. And, um, you know, there's a lot of things that came with that. George, I seen you pop up here. George, 
What do you think about um, Web 2 and that transition from Web 1? That was a really big deal because, as you said, uh, Web 1 was basically read-only. Uh, they were all written in hypertext markup language. Uh, with, Red 2, with Web 2, uh, they started coming out with other programming languages like Visual Basic and tools that you can more easily create web pages. You actually have to know how to code and <clears throat> use HTML uh, to do web pages before that. Well, and, and what's key with that, George, right, is is the, the key component to that, which will, will lead into the, the, the next uh, revolutionary uh, product that came out, is in, interactability, the the, the the ability to interact with something, right? And and it just keeps on progressing, you know, as in the future as we get into the alt reality and the virtual reality, it's the experience. It, it's, a, it's a hyper elevated experience and and we as humans that's what we want right you know so the, the more you can provide that the more active and people will be with your the product that you're putting out there right yeah right um in the beginning uh on those web pages what you got was an address and a phone number you could call somebody to buy or sell something from your web page uh, with web 2 they started doing online forms and you're right the interactive ability to um to communicate over the web and not just aol or CompuServe, but over the actual internet so, so there was a couple of things, and George, you can probably touch on this. We mentioned in Web 1 what was really powerful about it was that the security and the ability that uh, corporations or entrepreneurs can go and create something on a decentralized protocol, such as TCP, IP, um, HTTP. So Google, you know, Amazon, eBay, all these uh, big tech giants we have today, they, were, they had the comfortability and the security knowing that they can go and create a product on a decentralized protocol and that nobody can shut it down. Now... I mean, moving to Web 2, we lost a lot of that, whereas uh, entrepreneurs now or just users now are no longer creating their uh, platform or their products or their services or even just the, the value interaction that they have with each other and engagement with each other. Uh, those are no longer predominantly based on the HTTP protocol, but using uh, some of these big tech giants, their platforms. And that's when we've seen the rise of the Facebook and shortly after dropping to Facebook, seeing the rise of you know Twitter and YouTube and things of that nature to where we sort of create, we use these services um, for an easier user experience, but we lost the decentralization part. It became centralized. And, um, you know, where these big tech giants started curating and extracting the majority of the value that was created off of the users um, engaging on these platforms. And, and Austin, you, you know what? Words keep on popping up. We talked about them earlier and we keep on saying them. And I think it's a huge thing for, to bring adoption to anything no matter what you're doing in life. And those two words are what? Safety and security, right? Like the, Well, that's the, why you have the green helmet, right? You got the yeah, green helmet yeah. on because of the safety. The, exactly. You see how it all ties back? You see how it all ties back? How that, that, that green helmet is going to be a, a 10 East um, NFT. The, um, so so what, 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 what kind of popped up next on the timeline we we're doing was that you know, bringing in the single most consequential Web2 innovation, and, and that's that was the, the Apple phone, iPhone, right? Because now you can do all these things. All these things were happening, all this collabor collaboration and connectivity and interaction, and now you can do it in the palm of your hand, right? And and that's the one thing, and that's where I want to tie in the safety and security and why, you know, as the bees, that, that's when we were doing the education thing, that was the first thing that we would teach people and talk about was how to get to places and do things safe and secure and not, put yourself at risk because those two things are key in, in, in anything. And, and that's why I've always, people are always like, I have arguments at work about 
and we, we, we joke around and have them on here too about iPhone and Android. But when you saw the, 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 the news reporting when, um, you know, police were trying to get into people's phones and, and, you know, they, they were password protected and they, they weren't able to get in there, whether, whether, whether they could really get in there or not. And the truth to that, I, I don't know, but just the, the, the thought of what I have, me having that piece of technology and me having it and passcode encrypted, you know, my facial recognition or whatnot, I, I feel protected and a little bit more secure, right? That's why I stick with them. That's why I, I'm dedicated to them because I feel safer and more secure with them, right? Whether whether it's true or not, I, I don't hundred percent know because I'm not the you know the an IT guru, but I feel that way, right? And and um, did you just bring us the green helmet safety thought of the day call yet, Chris? I have I have many, I, I have many, many thoughts of the day. But. <laughs> that was a green helmet safety thought of the day is Apple iPhones. Um, <laughs> without without any uh, uh, IT and uh, computer and <laughs> back it up, Apple iPhones are the premier device for security and safety. You heard it from here from yes. Cardiac Chris. Now, I want to comment on something um, when, when it comes to the iPhone and the mobile web. Uh, and it really didn't dawn on me until uh, Beverly said it just you know about 20 minutes ago or so when she popped up here. When she said that when Hotmail was like the killer app, and Hotmail made it, you know, so you had the ability to check your emails from your personal computer. And when I thought about that, I was like, what the, what do you mean? I read that, and I seen that one about, about Hotmail, and I just skipped over it because I didn't really process it in my head when it said Hotmail was the first webmail service or something like that. And I was thinking, when she said that, I was thinking, like, you weren't able to check your emails from home? How did you check your emails before that? And she said something along the lines of you had to go to the office. Um, so bringing up the iPhone part of it was it was almost like that same moment when in 1996 Hotmail made the ability for you to check your emails from home on your personal computer. The iPhone in 2007 and the mobile, you know, the mobile web, which was out before the iPhone, I imagine, but the iPhone just pioneered it. Um, the mobile web made it so you can check your emails, check your uh, your information over the internet or whatever it may be on the go. So that was the next big um, explosion in growth because of that, and. Um, you know, I just found that interesting. Well, I, I need to, I, I need them to take that technology back because as soon as uh, as soon as the hospital put all my, nicked all my stuff and I got it on my phone, um, that was the the worst technological breakthrough in in history. Because <laughs> I don't want that crap. <laughs> they can have it back. <laughs> I don't want I don't want them to, to be able to contact me and email me twenty four seven. Please take it back. So we'll uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna stuff. Nay, nay, you're stuck for a sector right party at Chris George while you're up here. Um, you know, talking about that breakthrough from being able to check your emails or, um, you know, the usage of personal computers at home as opposed to the office. Um, did you, was that like a similar, um, explosion or, or a similar, uh, step in the usage of the internet when it became available on the mobile web, you know, as, as it became available on the go as opposed to just at home or just at the office? Uh, that was one of the breakthroughs with uh, with the introduction of uh, mobile web and mobile web usage. Uh, prior to that, everything had to be either uh, there were some companies uh, that I worked with that had uh, you could actually dial up uh, and get into the office to use Outlook Web or one of the utilities that we had for it. But um, you know, it really took off once uh, you could do everything from anywhere. Hey, Austin. Yep. Yes, sir. As, as we uh, as we pop through this thread, what transpired between 2007 and rolling into 2008? The separation of state and money. In 2008, 
there was a uh, historical white paper written by the anonymous um, character. If uh, if you're out there and you're listening, you believe in that separation. Why don't you throw up throw up some hearts? Yeah, you're good. You're good. But throw up some hearts if you believe in that separation. Go on, Austin. So in 2008, uh, the beginning of Web3, it's an introduction to it, was uh, Satoshi Nakamoto publishes Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, and uh, predominantly aimed for the separation of state and money, and uh, and, and uh, triggered right after the um, economic collapse or recession of um, investment banks. And so this kicks off, and in 2009, January 3rd, the Genesis block and the Bitcoin blockchain appears. So the first time that Bitcoin had, um, you know, its first uh, block mined and created. So it was the genesis of Bitcoin January 3rd, 2009. It's crazy. It's been over 13 years now. And January 12th brings the first Bitcoin transaction. Um, now, before we carry on into some of the further developments of Web3, uh, George and Cardiac Curse, while you're up here, why was the genesis of Bitcoin so um, historical? Or what, what was the power behind it? What was the meaning of that? And what did that kick off? Um, in those events, January 2009. It, um, so it, 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 I, I, before I answer that, I just want to touch on one thing. Like what Beverly brought up earlier, and Beverly, if you want to come back up and elaborate on this, like your, your feelings, but the fact that it's been around since 2008, and you know right now, no regulation, no, no, nobody. You know, back then, 2008, 9, 10, 11, how many eyes were on it? Never, never being hacked is a feat in itself because you know everybody was going after it. You know, especially once it became something of value, a dollar value. I mean, it it was. I would imagine that I can't couldn't even fathom the amount of uh, hacking that was been trying to go on with that contract. And uh, Beverly. Well, are you talking about the very first Bitcoin, uh, the life of Bitcoin in 2008, basically? Is that, is that what you're speaking about right now? I had to bounce off for a second, so. Yeah, yeah, so just how uh, right. the genesis. So, so, um, I do see the folks who are joining now, which is really awesome. Hey, Rahan. Uh, oh, or, uh, and uh, I see he. Right. Okay, cool. Um, and so I'll just say this. I, w- I remember in a, cl- in a class, a marketing class in 2008, I said to my class, has anybody heard of Bitcoin? No, nobody had. And we talked about it. And I think it was pennies. And it was also really pretty nefarious because it was being used on the Silk Road uh, you know, uh, website, the guy's in jail now, I forget his name, uh, who ran it. Um, and it was all drugs and arms and stuff like that. It was pretty bad news, meaning um, there was the bright side of Bitcoin, which was, wow, you know, we've made this breakthrough. And Satoshi, whoever that may or may not be, wrote the white paper. And it's you can still search on it and get it and see what it's about. It's only about a page long. Um, and the idea of, you know, digital currency was born in a big way. There was also a taint to it in the very beginning. And I remember saying to my class, 
I, I don't even know how to buy it. And the whole concept of wallet was brand new. And so the idea that you had to have a wallet, well, where did you even get one, number one? And number two, you had to give bank information to get your wallet because it wasn't tied to credit cards at that time. It was tied directly into your bank account. And there's no way I'm giving, you know, up to my bank account, you know what I mean? So I didn't end up buying any Bitcoin back then. I just wanted to buy a tiny bit to see how it worked, you know, mostly. Um, but that was my first uh, part of it. Later on, uh, just FYI, um, fast forward a number of years, so uh, UCLA, we uh, I was the academic advisor for the UCLA blockchain lab. First, it was a student-led lab, and myself and another instructor uh, designed the courseware for the blockchain certificate program, which is still running at UCLA Extension. And Berkeley has one, and everybody has one now. But so we took the we kind of separated the the currency off of the blockchain and just focused on the blockchain technology for the certificate program. So. That's what I remember. Hey, what, what's, what, what's kind of funny is, is the, the way you, you talk about how the feelings that you have when, when they say link your bank account to this brand new thing that's strange and weird and, yeah. you know, why, why do I have to link my bank account to it? It's, it, it, it I, I love to just look back at these this historical events and things that happen and, and see how they connect. You know, same thing when you... When you had to, when you had to connect your, 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 you know, you got your debit card when you first got debit cards, right? Totally. And, and, you know, even, and people said, I would never put my credit card number on the internet. I, that, everybody said that, right? And yet we were calling up Domino's Pizza and they would say, do you want to put this on your credit card? Yeah. What's the number? Five, four, three, three, seven, you know, whatever, you know. So you're happy to tell them on the phone what, what your credit card number is, but you didn't want to put it on the internet yet. And then, you know, you didn't want to connect your bank account to anything, or I didn't. Um, uh, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's what I was saying earlier about consumer adoption. You know, it has to be natural, easy. When, when Amazon came out with one-click shopping, right, that changed e-commerce forever because suddenly everybody got it. I like this, these shoes. I click here. I get my shoes tomorrow. Simple. You know, and it made sense to people. And, yeah, if I have to give my credit card, so what? Look at this convenience that I'm getting. And and it was a value exchange that people were willing to do, right? It's, uh, to, to, to kind of kind of pop back to you know we moved on to web three, but talk, talk about web two. It's uh, it, it exemplifies web two and the the fact of us as individuals giving our stuff away, right? Like my I grew up and my dad, you you'd have to pry his social security card from his dead cold hand to yeah. find out what his number was, and you know web two comes and everybody's on their handing everything away you know like it well once that fear i got overcame that you're somebody else was doing it and it was safe Woo! it was it, the well, at, and at the time the value exchange seemed even right what it seemed like was i'll give facebook my psychographic information meaning the music i like and where i live and the car i drive and my friend circle and in exchange they'll give me access to the world to the world you know, and that seemed like a fair exchange until everybody realized that these certain companies were taking that data and weaponizing it back on you. So in the beginning, that exchange was pretty fair. When it became, uh, when the algorithm started ruling the world, uh, you know, I just said this to students today in a class, the algorithm is not your friend anymore. Okay, it is not your friend anymore. So go out to all of your social platforms and take off all that psychographic information. Nobody deserves to have that. You know, uh, you can. You know what I mean? And, no, and right. I, I think the fact you said anymore is is key. Right. In the beginning, it, it was it was great, 
Um, and I actually, you know, in a sense, I, I, I like that algor- algorithms because they gave me what I wanted. But right. now, now when it's the point where it's being, they're taking it turned on it, it turned on everybody. What they did was monetize it. Listen, if you were at Google or Facebook or Pinterest or anywhere else, it was the only smart thing to do. You've got all this data, this metadata, and the marketers want to, they paid millions and millions of dollars for that metadata uh, over the years in the past because you couldn't even get it. People were freely giving it to them. Why wouldn't they make money on it? You know, that made sense. And, t- and, and then we started seeing the dark side of Web 2, which was its used against you. It's used politically. It's used uh, social engineering and all of that. So it, it shifted. And that's why I think there's a big, uh, there's more of an acceptance for the ideas around Web3 because people are waking up to that, that this information has been turned on me. And what was a convenience is now kind of scary, you know, in a way, right? So, uh, you know, do I want, do I want strangers having my health information and you know, do I want, I mean, you know, just all this kind of stuff. And we started realizing, hey, wait a minute, this this didn't turn out to be fair after all. <laughs> and, uh, and and that's right. And, and that's the whole point of why we want we want the, the people to take their power back and, and control. Exactly. Much so we control our, our data and, and we say where we want it to go and, and what we want to do. Right. I, my my uh, tagline right now is owning your own IP is very Web3, okay? So you want to own your own IP. All of that is your IP, your intellectual property. All of that is your name, image, likeness, and anything else that's about you should be yours. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And and taking that back is the promise of Web3, and it's everybody's job right now in the early days to ensure that it doesn't flip on people like it did in Web2. Right, because oh, go ahead. no, I, I'm done. I'm done. So anyway, uh, that's yeah. I'm I'm, I'm going to pop back to Austin and get back on topic about what's in 2012. But I want to say I just want to touch on one thing you said, Bev, and that's uh, I'm sorry I called you Bev, Beverly. Um, one thing that you said, name and image and likeness. So think about how it, it, this stuff blows my mind, right? So everybody's been hearing the news recently, name and image and likeness with, uh, with college athletes, right? Let them own themselves. Let them take that back. Let them be themselves, and, and that the universities don't own that, right? They're taking it back from the universities. The universities are, are making millions off of them, billions off of them, and they don't get a pot to piss them. I mean, they get a free education. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to not knock and not knock on on everything. I'm just trying to make a point. So you just started hearing that the past couple of years, and now you're here. You've been hearing it here too. You may think, well, who am I? What what am I? Well, why do I have to worry about my name and image like this? Because it's yours. Own it. Make people come to you to get it. Pay you for it. Know your own value. We, we talk about that a lot. So, you know, and this is a space where the athletes are going to start taking it back. And you as a person can start taking it back. And whatever you do and whatever you're interested in, it's, 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 the, it's the time and the place is now. So um, it's, it's, it's solely on you. Austin's not going to do it for you. I'm not going to do it for you. All these other Web2 communities and people are going to try to do it for you, act like they're doing it for you so that they can still have a piece of you. Know the difference. Know your value. Know who you are, what you are, what you bring to the world, and, and, take, and take it back. And let's, uh, we talk about this a lot, but let's be clear that, that uh, SBU Dow, um, Social Bees University, we're, we're, we're big into um, – 
sole proprietary and ownership. And we are uh, more, you know, we, we enjoy more of the, the DeFi side of things. And um, so, so Austin, let's tell people a little bit about uh, the difference between decentralized and centralized uh, exchanges, right? Uh, centralized yeah. exchanges is, is, is like Coinbase. And um, why don't you explain to them about how the to- tokenization is uh, controlled on there? Um, well, so the decentralized exchange was something that was almost like a myth for, for a, a while. And um, until Ethereum, the second largest blockchain, uh, launched. And again, like Bev mentioned earlier, uh, it's, it's starting to get its tenure um, around it because it hasn't had a hack yet. So its security has been tested, has been um, successful over the last um, you know, seven, eight years as a successful uh, protocol, but Ethereum introduced smart contracts. And this gave way for the ability for uh, other applications to be built, not only on the internet, but on the blockchain. So as Bitcoin, its only capability, I guess, is for you to transfer Bitcoin peer-to-peer. And that's, you know, even in its white paper, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. That's what it was meant for. That's what it was built for. Whereas Ethereum gave the ability for decentralized applications. And we've seen the explosion of a decentralized exchange application in 2020. Now, there was some other, um, you know, attempts at it, or there were some other protocols or apps that had developed some that were somewhat functioning or somewhat of a user experience. But the birth of Uniswap, and especially Uniswap version 2, was a game changer for DeFi and decentralized exchanges. And that gave the ability for people to transact tokens permissionless. And what we mean by permissionless is for me to go and trade my Bitcoin for Ethereum or go and trade my USDC for Ethereum or my USDC for Bitcoin on Coinbase, I would have to be a verified user. I'd have to have my KYC. My license would have to be uploaded. I would have to take a picture or a selfie holding up a piece of paper with my name on it and the date and get verified on there. And once I'm verified, then I can make my trades, my exchanges, but at their own uh, permission. So if they decide they're going to go into routine maintenance, I have to wait. If they decide that they don't want to um, execute that trade at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, that's up to them. I'm completely at their mercy as to when and if I'm allowed to trade my coins, which kind of defeats the purpose of decentralization, of peer-to-peer electronic cash system. It was like a, um, you know, we went back into some of the faults of Web2. Now, you get the decentralized exchanges, and there's no middleman. There's no one person that grants permission. There's no corporation that grants permission um, around the ability to trade your coins. You're able to utilize uh, the code, and it, it runs completely on code and executes on code that no one can manipulate, and you can make your trades at any time of day at your own discretion, um, wherever you're at, and you don't even have to be a verified user. All you need is, an, is a wallet. So what was a game changer about that is Someone that's maybe in South America, they're probably not able to get a Coinbase account. So some of the tokens on Coinbase, maybe they liked them, but they weren't able to invest in them or partake in their offerings. Whereas when the decentralized exchange came about, they gave the ability for somebody, no matter where they're at, to have access to this financial system or the financial infrastructure 
and they didn't need permission from anybody. They just needed a essentially a MetaMask wallet, but a wallet in and of itself. So um, there's a lot of ethos that gets behind it. For me, is you know self sovereignty. You don't need permission from somebody. Um, you keep control of your tokens, whereas on a centralized platform like Coinbase, your tokens are in the control of Coinbase. They keep control of them. Um, they're stored on all tokens are stored on the blockchain, but the access to it, they keep track um, through their own internal databases, as opposed to when you have your uh, your own wallet, um, you know, that's stored in your wallet, and you have access to that through your private keys and whatnot. So before I go too far, the rabbit hole is it's a game changer from self-sovereignty and permissionless, you know, transactions. You have been listening to Social Bees Radio, where we put the honey in the honeypots. Make sure to check out our next episode of Social Bees Radio. Till then, signing off.